Crunch broth is so delicious. Can't believe it's so nutritious. Never a drop left on your dishes. Add water, stir, drink. Make a cup to start your day. Slurp it up your favorite way. Roach broth sends your pain away. Drink some now. Roach broth. Now with even more juicy bits. So drink some now. This is Alicia August, and you're listening to Seeds. I listened to that recording about a hundred times. Probably more. I wasn't counting. Yandru, Considering every other language that ever existed died, then it had to be the language of the Aphis priests. I considered asking one of the lesser priests for a translation, but figured they would have been warned not to speak to me. If I went behind Arnold's back, they'd probably tell him, and then he'd never speak to me. The only way I'd find out was from Arnold, directly. So I set off at 5am. Maybe I could catch him at the APHIS quarters before he left for the day. I brought a copy of the recording with me on another old USB drive. High Priest Arnold lives in the communal quarters, with all the other priests, on the western edge of the forest. He moved back in after his wife died. The statues around it are mostly blank. I guess they must have had faces once, but the acid rain has peeled them all away. When I was a kid, I used to go there and stare at the one statue that survived. The big lady, with her ridiculous golden headdress. I wonder who she was meant to be. Was she some god that the old ones used to worship? As opulent as their communal quarters seem on the outside, it's even bigger inside. Plenty of places to hide. I snuck in, once, through the chimney, just to have a little peek. I know, crazy, but I was a teenager. When I got there, the APHIS guards didn't want to let me in. One was a skinny little thing, hardly capable of guarding anything. But the other was tall, well-built with a scar that went from his missing ear down his neck and into his uniform. I told him to go tell the high priest I knew what happened with Murphy Murphy. And they stared at me blankly. Tell him I'll put it on the pitch cast unless he gives me a comment. They radioed through to another couple of guards in the palace. Escort her up. Take the recorder. You'd think they would have assumed I had another recorder and would have searched me a little better. I did. They didn't. They escorted me through the huge halls of the priest's has-been palace. Marble columns, huge rooms in the tackiest of colours. One of those rooms was covered from floor to ceiling in peeling, browned yellow wallpaper, patches of mould all over it. You could tell the priests wanted to look powerful, but they still live in the same runes as the rest of us. When I got to the high priest's personal office, he was standing at a bookshelf, reading from a scavenged book of sacred texts. 
Books which contain such dense and complex knowledge, ordinary fools like me would be incapable of understanding them. I just caught the name on the book as he threw it back into the scavenge box. Von Nigat, I think it said. What's it about? It's an ancient book about the principles of logic and reason in relation to the natural physics present in nature and how they interact with us on a particular level. Far too much for you to understand, I'm sure, but it will no doubt add to our immense research. Later, I wondered what Vonnegut could possibly know about logic and reason that we didn't. I've never been particularly bothered by the Aphis priest's hoarding of knowledge, but it pissed me off then. Not only did he know the truth about Yanderu, he also knew more about the world. What gave him that right? On the desk, just in front of the high priest, sat a little steel cylinder, covered in black dust, no bigger than my hand. It had rows of letters, numbers and symbols on it. The cylinder was mounted on a piece of metal with a weird angular shape cut out of it, filled with even more black dust, which someone had tried unsuccessfully to clean out. The high priest saw me staring at it and quickly shoved it into a drawer. What do you think you know? I'll tell you, once you answer some questions. What questions? I can tell you everything about that night, and I can assure you, whatever the wagging tongues have told you, it's quite untrue. I don't care about Murphy or that night, but now I know you do. I gave him the USB drive and he plugged it into one of the old computers piled up in the corner. <laughs> that was not the reaction I was expecting. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> you look so sad. You look so sad. Did you honestly think you cornered me? Oh, the evil high priest, the murderer, the sadist! <laughs> Give it up, honestly. You're embarrassing yourself. What does it say? Nothing. No, no, I don't care what you think it says. Translate the words, or I'll tell everyone about that night with Murphy. <laughs> okay. Okay. First of all, you know nothing. I, I do mean that quite generally, by the way. But also, you specifically know nothing about Murphy. And you know nothing about me. <laughs> and quite frankly, these threats do nothing for you. It's true. I didn't actually know anything about that night with Murphy. But the fact that he let me in proves that something happened. This recording says nothing because it is gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. <laughs> My apologies. It's a very, very old word from one of our sacred texts. I shouldn't have expected you to know it. The words don't mean anything. It, it sounds like our language, I'll give you that. But it's not. It must mean something. Where did you find it? A talking scroll gave it to me. 
I didn't want to tell him that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Someone has played a fantastic trick on you, girl. Wonderful. Please do tell me, how many times have you listened to that recording? <laughs> Please, may I have a copy? I, I'd love to show some of the others. Very funny. <laughs> I took the USB back out of his computer, trying to hide my embarrassment. Oh, surely you can see the funny side. The Namini's clock is wrong. Excuse me? Marianne Elizabeth Namini said she saw Yandero at, at 10 o'clock, but that's not possible. It, it's only possible if her clock was wrong, which, which it is. It, it runs 30 minutes slow, which means she saw Yandero at 10.30, not 10 o'clock. Arnold stared me down, cogs turning. He tapped his fingers off the desk. Hmm. I'm going to show you something now. And you are going to feel extremely stupid. If you tell anyone, no one will believe you. And I will personally convict you of high slander. He opened his computer and turned it towards me. On one half of the picture, High Priest Mate washed up his dishes in the kitchen. On the other half, six other videos played, presumably from other parts of the house, all bathed in some sort of green light. Arnold told me that was because those rooms didn't have any lights on. The high priest had these recording devices installed. Some scavengers found them in an ancient warehouse a few years ago. He pointed up to the corner of the room, just above the long window next to the bookcase. We believe the old world used them to keep an eye on its citizens. Fantastic idea. In fact, if you look around the streets of Salitrum, you'll see there are hundreds of them everywhere. Of course, not all of them work, of course. But we've gleaned some important information from many of them. Do you understand? I understood. The Aphis priests were spying on us. All in the name of safety, of course. I ran through everything I'd done so far in this investigation. Did I do anything criminal? I didn't think so. I hadn't gone into Franca's house. Not yet, but that was meant to be my next stop. I sent word before I went to Marianne Elizabeth Namini's place. Had she really gone to see the new high priest? Or did he just send for her? And Bryony. The new high priest must have known that Bryony came to see me. On picture, High Priest Arnold sped the video up. There was even a moving camera in the toilet. I wondered if Mate's cess tank overflowed like mine and everyone else's. I doubted it. Only the best for our beloved leaders. Do me a favor, Alicia. Look at that little clock on the wall in the study. Tell me, what time is it? I looked at the time on High Priest Mate's clock. Read it to me. 10.15. Now watch. He walked around the desk and knelt before me as I watched. Then he pointed to one of the smaller videos. It was Yandera McConnell banging on the door. Mate looks at his watch, shakes his head. Maybe because it was so dark, he can't see the time. He shouts back. Yandera shouts something, then bangs harder. Mate grabs a knife off the kitchen counter, then runs upstairs. 
he runs into the study, opens the window and shouts down at Yandero, brandishing his kitchen knife. Yandero kicks the door, again, again and again until it caves in. Mate runs back downstairs, into the kitchen. He slashes Yandero deep in the gut, but Yandero pushes Mate over, who smacks his head off the marble counter. Yandero takes the knife out of Mate's hand and stabs him in the chest. At this point, I looked away. No. No. No, girl. This is why you're here, is it not? To see your enemy. He wrapped his arm around me in the chair, holding me down, and grabbed my eyelids from the top of my head and held them open. That man is your enemy. He is the enemy to us all. He is a murderer. No, no, no! You will not look away. You will watch this. You will stop spreading lies. You will go back to reporting the insignificant squabbles of ignorant farmers. Get off of me! I won't repeat exactly what I saw in detail. You know the story. It's just what they said. 10.15. Yandero killed Mate. 42 stab wounds. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So Mary Ann Elizabeth Namalee's story was true. She saw Yandero at 10. 22, 3, 4, 5... They didn't want to tell the truth about how they knew, because that would have alerted Salitra to the Order's prying eyes. So, why am I telling you now? 31, 2, 3... Because I think you should know. They're watching you. Plus, Arnold's threats don't really matter anymore. Not for now, anyway. 42. There you go. When he finally let go... I gathered up my stuff and left. We didn't say another word to each other. He was right. I knew he was right. Worse, he knew I knew he was right. And I did feel stupid. A squirrel didn't give me a fucking USB drive. The fumes from Frinka's plant must have gotten me high. I hallucinated. I picked up some old thing, thought it was a clue because I was looking for one. Listening back, is that voice even saying Yandero? Maybe it just sounded that way because that's what I wanted it to say. I thought, oh, what if I just couldn't believe that someone could have murdered someone else in Salitra? What if I was just trying to make my own world seem a little less scary? Sure, a sinister conspiracy in which our world is controlled by an evil cabal, seems pretty bad at first. Possibly worse than just, you know, a murder. But then think about it. At least the sinister cabal is in control. That leaves at least some hope, right? But, but if the world is just crazy, random, violent, chaotic, I mean, what hope can there be? But if Yanderu really was there at 10.15, and he was, I saw him. And if Marianne Elizabeth Namini's clock wasn't wrong, which I guessed it wasn't, at least it didn't need to be for that video footage to take place. That means Bryony lied to me. She said Yandero left her house at 10, or maybe just a little after. 
Iandero's an athletic guy, but he can't run seven kilometres in minus ten minutes. Why? We hadn't spoken in years. Why would she just come out of the blue, ask for my help, and then lie to me? All of this rolled around my head as I walked back through the crumbling corridors of the Aphis quarters. If Bryony lied, which she must have, she put me in danger. If she knew I would investigate, of course I would. That's what I'd do. But if she knew she was lying, then she also knew that lie could put me in danger of creating slander. Bryony's lie could have put me in prison for years. My misplaced trust was what might have imprisoned me. People lie. It's my fault for forgetting that. As I left the Aphis quarters, the two guards smiled at me, as if they had anything to smile about. I thought over everything I'd seen. How I'd spent so many days and nights trying to deconstruct the Order's narrative of that night, trying to poke holes. Only I didn't realize I'd been constructing a false narrative of my own based on the assumption that my childhood best friend would never, ever, ever lie to me. I look back at that dilapidated castle, filled with secrets we would never be permitted to know. I thought about the new high priest, laughing in his chambers, laughing at the stupid leech. Did he pick at the peeling wallpaper, ripping it up like so many forget-me-nots? It was my belief in Bryony's lie that put me up in the tree in the forest the day after Arnold showed me the murder video. A couple of days after that unpleasant interaction with Arnold, after the militia captain finally decided to check on his guards at my house, I climbed down out of the tree. The blind mouse squeaked around in my pocket. I didn't know if they were squeals of fear or delight. Either way, I wasn't going to let it back into the wild. Not until I was sure it was okay. I took off my shoes and padded through the forest, listening out for any militia that might still be searching for me. I stopped, listened. Someone was there. Nothing else in Salitra is strong enough to snap a branch. I doubled back towards my house. It was a safe bet that Mason would go back to punish my guards. If they were searching for me, then they would take the widest area, he wouldn't waste two searchers on an area he was searching anyway. There were at least two militia in that area, searching for me. Otherwise, who were they shushing? That meant there were four more possibly searching as well. I figured they would probably try to make a net to trap me. They'd start by covering the east, west and south sides of Frinka's clearing. If the south side guys, the ones who were near my position, moved slower than the rest, they could gradually wrap round and trap me in a circle. The militia captain might even round up the guards at my house and trap me from further down south on the north side of my own clearing. That would be game over. I didn't think they would take any chances if they caught me a second time. If, as I suspected, all of them were searching the area, then that meant none of them would be near Frinka's house. But what if they'd left one behind, in case I came back? I figured... They probably had done that. But that would just be one militia guarding a whole half an acre, dotted with rocks, old equipment and dips. If I could make it back to Frinka's clearing and evade that guard, if he was even there, then I could make it to Mate's house. 
Once they realize I'd escaped, that would probably be the next place they'd check. Still, I mean, that gave me at least an hour. I worked my way back, halfway towards my own clearing, then turned left, going what I thought was east. I figured if I ran faster than they searched, I could slip through the net and circle back to the east side of Frinka's clearing. Stop. What? Stop moving your fucking lips. There wasn't a whole lot I could do. They sounded like they were about 20 feet away. I looked around for a tree to grab onto, but thought better of it. They'd hear the rustling. I stayed still. You hear that? Where is it? Shh. I reached into my pocket and stroked the mouse. It rolled over as I scratched behind its ears. It's gone going. I don't really want to find it. Yeah, neither do I. The militiamen kept searching. I kept still, trying not to draw attention to myself. Before I could move, one of the militiamen spotted me through the trees. I could just see his eye peeking through the melange of trunks. So Presumably, he could only see mine. Imagine the view from your window. The beautifully cultivated nature of Salitra. Undisturbed by disease-ridden pest. Then, a rustle in the grass. As a bear rips towards you, a roar. It bears its teeth to bite. Only to find you are already dead. Rotten away from the disease you caught from some rat, bird, or deer. Don't let this happen to you. Invest in oxycyanide today and protect your land from pests. Oxycyanide, not for human consumption. Larger pests such as deer, bears, and horses require larger doses. Oxycyanide kills them good and dead. stared at me, but did nothing. What is it? Nothing. Let's go. He moved on. I didn't have time to question why he didn't arrest me. I paddled away again, as quietly as I could, around the eastern side of Frinka's clearing. I was right. They had left one behind to guard Frinka's burnt-out water factory. He walked around on top of the hill, keeping his eyes on the perimeter of the clearing. He must have been bored, because he just scanned the whole place every now and then. When he wasn't scanning, he stared out towards his friends who had entered the forest to look for me. The small path to Mate's house was on the far northwest edge of the clearing. If I'd have had more time... I could have just gone back into the woods and followed the perimeter around towards the north and gotten in that way. But I didn't have time. Less now that other militiaman had seen me through the trees. I had to get across the clearing without being seen. If I could just get behind Frinka's house, I could slip in behind his purification machinery. The militiaman on the top of the hill wouldn't be able to see me, and I could cut through the forest on the other side and get to Mate's house that way. 
the militiaman took another cursory scan of the area. I made a break for a pile of rusted old metal girders at the bottom of the hill. I didn't know if they were high enough to give me cover, so I lay down behind them. From there, I couldn't keep an eye on the militiaman. I just have to place my faith in his laziness. After about 30 seconds, I took a peek over the girders. He was just finishing another cursory scan. I made a dash for the metal container at the base of Frinka's hill and slipped inside. I crept up the hill, within the container, towards the light on the other side. Something moved. The mouse had run out of the container when I found him, so maybe this was his home? Maybe I could leave him here with the rest of his family. It was one of the owls from my clearing. I didn't think they'd venture out this far. And then I understood why the mouse was squealing. The owl pecked at a pile of dead mice, ripping them apart. My mouse had escaped, and I just brought it back. When the owl heard my mouse squealing, when it heard the fresh, living meat, its head span round, and it flew directly at my pocket. I tried to bat it away, but it kept coming at me. It pecked at my hand, tearing my palm open. I punched it in the head and it flew outside to get away. It flew up higher, then turned around and made a beeline straight for me. The militiaman, more like a militia boy, appeared at the entrance of the box, his rifle slung over his shoulder, delighted to catch his prize. Then... He spotted me. A young guy, no older than 15. He'd probably just missed the first prep, and this was how he was going to serve his community. You could see where he was trying to grow a mustache, but he'd only managed to push out a couple of weeds. I'm not going with you. No. You know how to cook that? I... I think my mom does. I felt bad for my owl, but then... This kid had probably never even tried real meat. I picked it up and threw it to him, but he jumped out of the way, scared. Are you scared of me? Don't tell them. Tell them what? He ran away. At the time, it made no sense. What was he scared of? Me? Why? He ran back towards the clearing. I didn't think he'd tell them anything. He probably waited in the edges until I made my way through the clearing and out the other side, towards Mate's house. But why was he scared of me? When I got to the edge of Mate's property, I looked for the video recorders the high priest had shown me. There was one, just above the front door. I thought through the rooms I'd seen in High Priest Arnold's moving camera. I figured... If Mate had hidden anything, it wouldn't be in any of those rooms anyway. All I had to do was avoid the rooms with video recorders and I could get in and out without anybody knowing I was even there. But I had to do it quickly, before the militia captain had the notion to search for me there. I approached the back of the house, where I supposed the kitchen must have been, according to the high priest's video recorders. I knew the moving camera in the kitchen didn't have a window in it, so I walked up to the kitchen window to get a look inside. 
floor, the walls, everywhere, still stained with dried blood. But it didn't look like it had been cleaned. Quite the opposite. It looked like the whole place had been trashed, searched from top to bottom. I turned around to see Captain Mason and the scared militia boy exiting the forest, followed by the rest of the militia, including the ones who had been guarding my house. He took them towards the metal box and they disappeared behind the trees. I ran around the corner of Mate's house, broke a window and climbed inside. I guessed I might have had about 20 minutes before the militia captain would decide to search Mate's house. Mate had died weeks ago at this point, Maybe Arnold wasn't going to move in. Maybe he didn't want to move into the murder house, next to the suicide house. At this point, though, I doubted either of these two events happened the way we were told. As I'd sat in Arnold's office, while he pinned me to that chair, forcing me to watch Mate's brutal execution, I tried to switch off zone out. My mind tried to drift, but each time Yandero stabbed Mate, it snapped back to the reality of that recording. One thing that kept racing through my mind as I walked back home from Arnold's office that day, what was that weird cylinder? He definitely didn't want me to see it. As I walked back home from the APHIS quarters, Trying not to think about those videos, I looked around every now and then, every time I heard a rustle. Maybe those squirrels would show up again? Of course not. There were no squirrels. No talking squirrels, anyway. Rain started to drip all over the forest ceiling, so hard that even if there were a talking squirrel lurking behind a tree, I wouldn't have heard it coming. All around me, though, huge rats darted off in the same direction, further into the forest. I'd never seen so many all at once. If my mind wasn't otherwise engaged, I probably would have been freaked out. At the edge of the forest, the opening to my clearing, I smelled burning. Burning? I got a flash of Samuel Frinka's house, ran out of the trees, up the hill, and... Nothing. My house wasn't on fire. Of course it wasn't. But my heart still pounded as if it was. Inside, I checked every light switch, drowned every candle even though they weren't lit, I stuck my hands in the fireplace, searching for embers, stirred it around with a poker. Nothing. I knew there was nothing, but then visions of my house on fire, my blackened body trying to escape, the high priest laughing, everyone laughing at all. Ugh. I'm sorry. I should... I need water. But I, I, don't, I don't have any left. <laughs> Just a half bucket of namony. When I finally calmed down, I was shivering in a corner, rocking, my soaked clothes dripped. 
It was dark. How long was I searching? How long had I been sitting there rocking back and forth? Why? Why the flashes of Franca's house? I didn't know him. I didn't care about him. Would they... would they kill me? No. <laughs> Yanderu was the murderer. The priests didn't kill anyone. Well, maybe, maybe they did. <laughs> Who knows? But they never killed Mate. I saw it. I couldn't close my eyes. If I closed my eyes, shapes appeared, formed by a light that wasn't there, green and red, faces, faces I didn't recognize, didn't know who they were, just knew they were bad, dangerous. At any point, they might escape my closed lids and appear in the darkness, but I would never know, not until dark. I needed to make light. The light would keep them out. I fumbled around for a light switch. No power. Something must have broken it again. Lightning, maybe. Uh, between the flashes and the flashes, I managed to get uh, the cunt. Tinder and matches. I lit a fire and sat in front of it, staring into the flames. My poker slid out of the fire, dragging some burning tinder with it. I'd forgotten it was in there. I jumped up and stamped out the tinder with my foot, then thanked my faculties for preventing a self-fulfilling prophecy. I reached out to pick up the poker, but fuck, but it was red hot! It's been in the fire too long. I stared at it, waiting for it to cool down. Hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The video of Yandero's Mate, murdering Mate. It was dark. There wasn't any lights on. There was no fire. I could see the fireplace. It was stone cold. Who would light a fire in the middle of Petrogen anyway? <laughs> but at Yandero's trial, the militia captain testified that Yandero was holding two weapons. One, the knife, which I saw in the video, and... In the dark, I'm going to throw a big-ass knife in one hand and a red-hot poke in the other. And a red-hot poke in the other. A red-hot poke in the other. A red-hot poke in the other. I watched Yanderu stab Mate 42 fucking times. He didn't have a red-hot poker in that video. Maybe, maybe he picked it up afterwards, but Mason, the militia captain, specifically said more than once it was a red-hot poker. That would mean Yanderu would have had to start the fire, wait for it to get hot enough, and then put the poker in the fire to heat it up until it was red-hot. Then he would have had to grab it and go back to stand over Mate with both the poker and the knife. Samuel Frink had testified that he rang the bell just as Yandero broke the door down. From the time that Yandero entered to the time that new priest, the, uh, the new high priest counted the 40-second stab wound was at least 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Mason said they arrived 30 minutes after the alarm bells rang. That means Yandero had 15 minutes to do all that, that before they arrived? <laughs> that doesn't make any fucking sense. Think about it. He's got to drop the knife, find the tinder, find the matches, both in a house that he doesn't even know. Then he got to actually start the fire. He's got to start the fire. They've got to light the fire. Then he's got to heat up the poker, then get back to Mate. Plus, why would he do that? Why would the murderer even want a hot poker in the first place? I needed to see the rest of that videotape. Why would the militia captain lie about the poker? It didn't add anything to the trial. It didn't make Yandero any more or less guilty at the time, so why add it in there if it wasn't even there? Also, if Yandero was at Mattis House at 10.15, which he was, then Bryony lied to me. Why would she do that? Thirdly, 
If the new high priest had nothing to hide, why would he show me, the leech, a private video that proves the Order is spying on us? Ostensibly, it was to get me to stop spreading lies. But people have lied before. People have committed acts of irrationality before. Those people are all in prison. So I thought, why am I not in prison? How is the Order's secret spying less important than my supposed lies? And if my lies were truly such a worry, then surely they would have already arrested me. I stumbled into the toilet and vomited. Missed. Did I drink that much? No, no, my heart was ripping through my chest, crushing my lungs. It wasn't the Namini. Couldn't be. I collapsed onto the floor outside my toilet. My mind raced so fast. I had no more signals left to send to my limbs. Through the floorboards, the sounds of those few rats seemed to multiply to the sound of a thousand scurrying feet and squeaks. Maybe I was high that day in the forest. Maybe there weren't any squirrels. Maybe the voice recording was a cruel prank at my expense. But one thing I did learn from that meeting, Arnold didn't want me digging any further into the night of Yandero's murder. Furthermore, he was willing to jeopardize the Order's security and control to keep me from digging any further. I needed to find out if and why Bryony lied to me before the High Priest changed his mind and decided to imprison me after all. More importantly, I needed to see inside Frinka's house to find out what they were hiding from us. I didn't know it then, and I wasn't even sure by the time of Frinka's funeral, but now I do know. Frinka didn't commit suicide. He was murdered 